as a father of four kids and 13 grandkids, uh, I've managed to be able to spend a considerable amount of time uh, on sidelines of sports events uh, and sometimes coaching. And, and uh, you know, I've made an observation, and I know you've seen the same thing. You, you know, you have uh, just a, a, a situation where they're, they're maybe we're playing baseball, and you have this little kid out there, and you can tell. Everything about this kid is uh, says he is just living the life. He is loving it. And, and, and you start to realize why, if you, if you watch the, the dynamics a little bit about uh, how this is working out between parents and uh, the, the child. Because so, so someone hits a ball, and, and here's this little guy. He's in outfield, and the ball is coming right at him. And his, and his dad says, you know, it's coming, John. It's coming. And, and John's got his glove up, and he is watching that ball. And he watches that ball as it goes right over his head and lands on the ground behind him. And then dad says, great job, John. You saw it the whole way. You almost got it. And next time you'll get that ball. Or then, or then uh, you know, later on, a little, <coughs> excuse me, little daughter comes up to bat. And, and uh, so she's up to bat, and, and uh, she's in her stance. And, and mom's there, dad's there saying, oh, great stance. And, and you know, the, the pitcher throws the ball, and it's about five miles too high. Doesn't matter. She swings at it. And uh, he could, no chance of reaching it. And and, uh, you know, Dad says, that's a beautiful swing. You'll get the next one. And the next one comes by, and she doesn't get that one either. And then the next one comes by, and she doesn't get that one either. And, and, but then Mom says, you know what? If you had got that one, I know it would have been a home run. And, just, and so you're hearing all this conversation, and, and that child is just loving it. She said, they're happy. They're having fun. But if you've been on those sidelines or, or coaching those teams, you know that that's not always the case, is it? You know, you have those uh, kids that uh, they're not enjoying the game. And, and pretty soon you find out why, because they miss a ball and, and dad says, hey, keep your eye on the ball, or, or, they, or they throw infield and don't do a good job. And it's like, hey, if you don't want to play the game, go sit on the bench. Or, or they get up to bat. Everything is wrong. Everything's a criticism. Everything's a put down. And, and you can tell, you know, as, as they, they come in field after missing a ball or, or not doing a good enough job and dad yelling it over the crowd, they, you can tell that they're already thinking about the ride home in the car and how, how bad that's going to be. And, and it's pretty clear that, you know, and maybe it's not just about the game for them. Maybe, maybe somewhere in that little mind, the, the way that this has impacted them, and maybe it's the case, is they love me if. They're, it's all about performance. It's all about you know, not embarrassing mom and dad. Uh, now, some of you, 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 that's the environment you're in in work. You know, it's, it's uh, your work situation is, you know, there's no, there's no pats on the back. There's no, uh, you know, good job, buddy, or anything like that. It, it is all, they seem, to, they seem to pick up on every single mistake, even the ones you don't do. Uh, it's an environment where there's this extreme competitiveness and it's been developed because there's kind of a cutthroatness. You know, your job's at stake. You never know when the guy next to you, to, in order to set an example, is going to get promoted over you. Even though, and and it's that that environment. And it's just you know, it's really they're they're uh, you know, you don't have too many free thinkers there because you're afraid to. You're afraid to come up with an idea. If it works, you might, uh, you know, you know, you might get a promotion. But if it doesn't work, you know what happens in that kind of environment. And, you know, it's kind of like I, I ran across this saying one time, it's hard to soar with an, like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys, and that's kind of what you feel like. And speaking of turkeys, maybe you're in a marriage like that, you know, where they're just, they're, 
it seems like even though the word love maybe be thrown around a little bit, it's all based on what you've done, how you've done it. You know, you're a good provider if you don't ever say no to me. You're, and so you're, these scenarios, are, they're just, you know, and what you find out is people that are in that kind of a relationship are never really happy because they never know when the next shoe's going to drop, when, you know, when they're not going to meet expectations, when, when they might do something wrong and cause the, the three days of silence or wherever the case may be. It's a, it's a hard place to be. I'll tell you where it's really hard to be in that kind of an environment. If you find yourself in a performance-based relationship with a perfect and holy God, you're in trouble. He's perfect. He's holy. And, and now, now you're trying to live up to what you think are the expectations. You talk about miserable. You know, you know probably a better way of describing that would be wretched. What a wretched way to live life. Always wondering, have I done enough? Is he happy with me? What's he think about that? And, and yet that is, that's the way that some people live their entire life when it comes to God. Now, I think that's what leads a lot of people to say, I, I don't even think I believe in a God. Why, why would you want to believe in God? Although the Word of God says you do, but why, you know, if, if you know that that's the environment, if you're always wondering, have, have I lived up to the expectations? And, and or are, they, are you getting these conversations and, and people will say something like this. They'll say, well, you know, it's, I kind of see it as a skill. And, and uh, I, think, I think I've done enough good that the skill outweighs the bad. And, and I'm, so I'm hoping that's enough for God. And, and so they live that way. And that's what they think the relationship is based on. And, and it leads to that. What a wretched man I am. Well, if you don't have your Bibles, or if you do, hopefully you have your Bibles. If not, or your devices, go to Romans chapter 7, because that's where we, we are right now in this present series called The War Within. And uh, uh, if you're paying attention, we started into this last week, and uh, uh, we'll finish up the month in, in uh this, this chapter, but if you're paying attention, you know that I've kind of skipped past quite a few verses. We, 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 we skimmed, we did a little bit of conversation in verses 1 through 13 last week, and I want to I touch base a little bit today too, but I want to get down to the, to the next section this morning because it is such a significant passage of Scripture in the Word of God. Uh, but before we do, just let me kind of walk. And one reason I'm kind of skimming past this first part is because uh, there's a lot of repetition here. We, as we worked our way through chapter 6, Paul, Paul was talking about the fact that, that uh, what has taken place. If you're in a relationship with God and you understand the relationship from the, from the framework of the way God's word has laid it out. So, so you came to that point where you realized that to be in relationship with God, to be restored in that relationship, because the Word of God tells us that in reality, prior to what we're about to talk about, we're not in relationship. It's been broken. Our sin has broken the relationship with God. And to have that relationship restored, you realize, and we talked about that in chapter 6, that you, you had to come to the realization that the grace of God moved into our world in the name of Jesus Christ. This individual, God became flesh, and he came and he lived among us, and he went to a cross and he died. And the reason he died on that cross is he was making a payment. 
you realize when someone gives you a gift, you know, as you go out and buy some candles for gifts later on, you're going to give that gift, if you do, to someone else. Well, if it's a gift, there's no strings attached for that person, but you pay the cost for that gift. It's the same way with this thing called salvation. This, this God is saying to you and I, I'm offering you as a free gift forgiveness. And that's not just past sins. That's past, present, and future. I'm going to forgive all of your sins. Our relationship will be restored. In fact, I'm going to adopt you into my family as my child. And that adoption will last forever. We're going to spend forever together. And, and that's all being offered to you and I as a gift. If you came to that understanding, you accepted that gift. And, and so Paul, as he moves into that chapter 6, as we've seen, he talks about the grace because that's what that is. That's grace. He doesn't expect me, but he's put all the expectation on himself. He paid the price himself so he could offer us a gift. And, and so Paul's as he moves into chapter 6, he says, so maybe some are going to take that grace thing and misuse it. And we walked through that argument of, of Paul said, well, how can you do that when, when you really understand the heart of God for you? And, and he kind of continues that in the first part of chapter 7 as well. He starts off, do you not know that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives? And, and what he said is when you accepted that gift, that grace, that old self died. And you've been created a new creation. And so that's what he's dealing, talking with here. And, but, you know, here's his, his, his concern is, as you see as he goes on, he says, he doesn't want anybody to think that, that because he talks about the law as, as the past tense, that there was something wrong with the law, that it was a bad thing. So he says, what shall we say then? Later on in 7, is the law sin? Certainly not. It, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law, the law is good. In fact, uh, uh, one of the quotes that, that I love from the commentaries was, uh, uh, in fact, I must have gotten ahead of myself because I don't see it there. We'll come back to it. The, the law is a good thing. The law, it, it, had a, it was a tool. It was a tool to demonstrate to us that we can't live up to a holy God. And, and it's to make it very clear to you and I that we, I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me. And so when the law is used correctly, it's a great thing, you know. It, it's kind of like, you know, taking a, uh, a chainsaw to cut your son's hair. That, you're using the wrong tool for the job, and it's probably not going to be a good thing. Well, sometimes that's the way the law has been used in the past. It's been, it got way out of whack. It started being the ends to the means, and it never, or the means to the ends, and it never was. It was simply to make us aware of the fact that I need a rescuer because I can't live up to the, 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 the standard, the law. And so Paul wants to make sure that we know that he's got nothing against the law. But he does have a concern, and, and uh, that's what we get into. And here, as we move into this, these verses, I want to just tell you, there's been a debate that has been uh, on these verses that has gone on probably since right after the time of Christ. And, and, and I want to be honest, I, I share that debate with you, but I also share you with you my opinion on what the right answer is, obviously. Uh, but uh, So here's, here's the de- debate. People have debated over the years. When Paul wrote these next verses, was it before he was a Christian? Is he describing his life prior to Christ, prior to accepting that gift? Or is he writing about his life after he made that decision? And, and some say, oh, well, it couldn't be before. And I'll read you the passage in a minute, and you'll probably, we'll see what you say. And Others say, well, no, I, I think it, it's, it's afterwards, and I'm going to tell you my opinion in a minute, uh, which is, the, no, it's, it's just my opinion, but, and I'll show you why I think that. But that's the debate that has been going on around this passage for, for a long time. Now, I think, here's my opinion, 
I think Paul's writing about his life after accepting the gift. In fact, he's going to share, I think in this passage, the most sinister thing that can, and it is so common and so easily happens in our lives as Christians, but is so destructive that the Paul says, I just want to share this with you because I want you to be aware this can happen. You know, if I were to ask you in, in your own mind, just to say, think in your mind, don't say it out loud, but think in your mind, if, if you were to, to pick in your mind what you think are the top one or two or three things that are destructive to the Christian life, I'm sure we'd all come up with a few things. I kind of doubt that any of them are the thing that Paul's going to say is the most destructive. And that's what he's going to identify in this passage. So, so I think, and this is why I think that he would said this after a Christian, because notice what he writes in, in this verse. He says, once I was alive apart from the law. If you know anything about Paul's life prior to meeting Christ, would you describe that as apart from the law? Remember who he was? He was a Pharisee. Remember the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. And, and in fact, they were, they were so enthralled with the law. Everything about them was law. They, were, they knew the law. They, they, you know, if you broke the law, they quoted the law to you. Paul once said about himself that in that time in his life, according, when it came to the law, he was totally righteous. Now, I've talked to you about what that meant. It didn't mean that he felt was saying he never broke any laws, but, but then there were laws about when you broke a law, you followed this law to, to make the sacrifices needed, and you had specific sacrifices for specific things, and so you'd follow the law to get yourself out from under the judgment that became, came because you broke the law, and Paul was saying, I did all those things. I kept it. I dotted my I's. I crossed my T's. And I was, I knew the law. And so, so describing, saying once I was apart from the law, I don't think he was talking about prior to Christ. I think he was actually talking about that magical, wonderful moment when for the first time in his entire life, he suddenly realized it's not about keeping the law. The law was just to let me know I needed a savior. And he accepted that restored relationship, that forgiveness. And I think that was such a moment for Paul. It was such a freeing. Yeah, have you ever heard, you know, have you ever heard a brand new believer pray? Especially if they've had really no background. They, you know, they haven't hung around the church. So they, 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 nobody's ever told them there's a certain word you're supposed to use here. And they, you know, they didn't know any of that. And, so, and they, so, so they start talking to God, and it is so refreshing because you know what they do? <laughs> they talk to God. And, and in fact, it, they'll, they may throw in a few words that you're thinking, whoa, I don't think you're supposed to say that when you talk to God. But, but they're not worried about that. They're just simply so enthralled, this new relationship. And, they, and then they can actually talk to God. And it is such a refreshing thing. And I think Paul's looking back to that moment. And he was looking back to that when I first finally understood this gift God was offering. I was alive for the first time in my life. I was alive apart from the law, but then something happened. And that's what he's worried about. That's what he's worried about for me, and that's what he's worried about for you. So I want to walk down through these verses. I'm going to, I'm going to move down through this first section quickly because I want to, I want to get to his point, what I think his point is. But, but there are some things that, it, you know, as you read this, and I don't know if you've read, ever read this passage of Scripture, man, you talk about... Just let me just read you a little bit of it. Listen to this. 
And if you don't relate to this, well, maybe it's just me. But So here's Paul. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. As it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing, you, you ever felt like that? <laughs> I remember saying to my dad one time, in fact, my dad used this passage. I, there's a point where I walked away from God for a period of time in my life, and, and man, was I miserable. <laughs> and, and finally, my dad, we had, we had the conversation. I, I got into some pretty scary trouble, and 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 my dad had seen it coming. He had tried to address it. I, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't care to hear from dad at the point. But I remember saying to my dad, dad, you know, and I grew up in a preacher's home. Uh, and I, I want you to know, my, my parents, my dad, it was what dad said at the pulpit on Sunday is the way he lived the rest of the week. There was no hypocrisy. They were godly, are godly people. So so I can remember when my dad confronted me and basically says, what, what's the matter? And I said, dad, you know, here it is. I look at you and mom, I like it. I, I know you're right. I know that you live the right way. I knew you do the right things. And I have tried to be that person, and I cannot be it. No matter how hard I try, I always mess it up. Every single time. I am so frustrated. I'm so tired of this, Dad. Wretched man that I am. So maybe that's, that you're saying, hey, I know exactly. I get what Paul's talking about here. I know what's good. I want to do what I but every time I turn around, I turn, I've done just the opposite I want to do. So, so let me walk you through. Let's walk through this real quickly, this, this section, because there are some things that won't necessarily show up in our English translation, but do show up in, in the original language. And, and uh, I think suddenly make us, gives us an insight. So, so just quickly. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave. Again, Paul said, I just want you to know, this is not, I am not anti-law. It had its purpose. It is a valuable tool. But if it's misused, and, and the reality is it showed me one thing about myself. I am not spiritual. I do not have it together when it comes to God. And that's exactly what it was supposed to do. So it did what it was supposed to do in Paul's life. He's realized that. Uh, one of the commentaries are, said the law is a reflection of the character of God. It's a good thing. So, But Paul goes on. We know. What he's saying there is, in my head, I know this is true. And remember, his argument all the way through both these chapters is, our biggest problem is we don't think right about our relationship with God. We'll see. It's, we've made it about action. But he said, no, it's really about what's going on up in here. He says, I know in my head, I know this is true, that the law is spiritual. It's a good thing. And I know it did good things in, in my life. It showed me that I am a slave to sin. <coughs> Law's good, I'm not. I know this. I know that the law is good, and I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. And what it actually is saying here the, in the tense is, my natural inclination, nine times out of ten, leave me to my own accord, and I'm going to mess it up. That's just the reality. That's, I figured that out about myself. If I'm on my own, I'm not going to get it right. I, somehow I always mess it up. I realize that. That is my natural inclination. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate is what I do. I do not understand. I mean, there, you know, we read those words kind of like in the English, we're kind of like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. What, he's, what it really says, he says, I am so frustrated about this. 
This is so disheartening to me because I know what's right. I want to do what's right. And I never consistently get it right, ever. And this is so discouraging that I constantly find myself saying to myself, how did you get here again? Maybe some of you get that. I, I have got it in my life at times. I, I, thought I, I, I thought I was past this. Why am I back here again? This is so disheartening. This is so frustrating. But what I want to do, what I want to make a practice in my life, what I want to be habitual in my life is, is exactly what I do not do. It's, it's not what I want to do. And he says, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I mean it. This, I, I really, I cannot, I don't, I have never been able to get this right. As much as I try, the reality is most of the time, the practice of my life is most of the time I mess it up. I mess it up over and over again. Hear the frustration? Some of you are saying, man, I don't just hear it. <laughs> I, I live it. What I actually do is what I hate to do. I hate this about myself. I hate that I end up here all the time. I hate the fact that, you know, I can remember that point when I came to Christ and I was so excited and yet somewhere I lost this and I'm back to miserable. I'm back to wretched. What has happened? That's what Paul's talking about. It's what happened in his life, what he's sharing here from his heart. If I do what I do not want to do, that means I agree that the law is good. And he's not saying every time. That, that tense of that says, you know, it's not always. Every once in a while I do it right. But it's, it's, it's way too infrequent. I'm so frustrated with my life. I, I, you know, I, I thought I had finally figured it out. And, and yet I'm still miserable. I'm still struggling. I still constantly find myself doing the same thing that I thought I'd been delivered from. And yet here I am again. I, it's, I I, and I know that the law is good. It, it, in fact, the fact that it bothers me means that I know what is right and I want to do what's right, but I never seem to get it right. As it is, it is no longer I myself doing it, but the sin living in me. That's convenient. Uh, I figured it out. It's not my fault. You have that, the, the kids in your life, uh, in your family, that that was their answer to everything. It's not my fault. You know, it, it, is, it is their toothbrush that is laying on the floor, not with their teeth right, with the toothpaste still on it, and it's, well, it's not my fault. I didn't see it there, or whatever. Everything, that seems like a pretty convenient thing, but that's not exactly what Paul's saying here. So it's no longer I myself who do it. Uh, I want to do it. I really do want to do what's right. Just never seem to get it. As it is, Another translation says, so now, and here's Paul's translation. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I think I got it. This is an aha moment. Oh, now I know what's going on. I remember before I was a Christian how miserable I was. How did I get back here again? I think I figured it out. Uh, commentary said, the alien master still lives in me and he's running my life, still considering it his house. I just realized that a familiar pattern has slipped back into my life. 
as it is. Paul, well, what do you mean, Paul? What, what is it? What is it that you've figured out? Here it is. I know that nothing good lives in my life. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He says, I know. I've carefully examined this. I've, I've been really wondering about this. Why, why do I always, why am I miserable again? I can remember that moment when I was so alive. What happened to it? Where did it go? Why am I back here again? Why am I just the wretched man? What is going on? Well, I figured it out. I know nothing good lives in me, which means inherently I know that I get it wrong most of the time, but here's what I figured out. For what I have... For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And there is a secret in that word good that most of the time I miss. But what that word good there means, there's, there's a number of words that translate in the Greek good. This particular word means good in appearance. Paul's, Paul's aha moment is this. He lived his whole adult life prior to Christ, trying to live up to appearances. Doing the religious things, making the sacrifices, crossing his T's, dotting his I's, saying the words, saying the prayers, bowing when he's supposed to bow, you know, keeping the rules, keep making sure other people kept the rules. That's, that was his other life. He, he lived his whole life wanting everybody to look at him and say, what a godly man he is. Look at Paul. Look how good he is in appearance. Look, you know, you ever seen anyone like Paul? You see, did you see him last week down on his knees on that corner with everybody walking around him? But he is such a godly, prayerful man. He didn't care. He prayed when he was supposed to pray. That's Paul. That's where Paul lived his adult life prior to Christ. And that's what the moment he finally understood that it is by grace you are saved, not by works, which he later would write, that he became alive. He knew it had nothing to do with any of those things. It was nothing he could offer. It was simply God's gift, and he had to choose to receive it or accept or reject it, and he received it, and he was alive. But what's happened is I've slipped back into performance. I'm right. I don't know when it happened. But somewhere along the line, it all became a show. You know how common that is in the church? Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you were really walking through something heavy in your life? And, and especially if it was, it was a, a heaviness because you made a, a poor decision. Maybe it was an ungodly decision. When was the last time you felt like it's okay, I could tell my brothers about that because they'd understand and they'd pray for me and they'd, they'd mean it and they wouldn't judge. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll share about Aunt Susan needing surgery. We'll share about, the, but why don't we feel like we can share those, those battlefields, those struggles? Why, why is it we, we stay away from the deep stuff? It's because... It's about appearance, performance. 
And because of that, we're never really sure of where we stand. We've got to keep up the image. And that's exactly what had happened to Paul. He'd slipped back into that mentality. It was a part of his life all the way up until he met Christ. He was alive briefly, and then he moved back into this terrible law that grabbed a hold of his heart and went put, put him right back in that situation where he said it's about looking good, looking godly, putting on, putting the right image. And the moment that happens in us individually and the moment happens in a church, it is so destructive. It robs us. In fact, it takes us to what a miserable man, what a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of sin and death. Paul says, I got to figure it out. My heart's got set on looking good. Good in appearance not in reality and that destroys the soul I've opened myself right back up to the same evil thing that destroyed me for so many years and I gotta tell you this plagues us as Christians doesn't it it plagues us it destroys us God's law is not the problem never never was it's that thing in our life that grabs a hold of our heart that says we got to keep up appearances. And it wages war in our mind. And suddenly I'm too worried about what the person next to me thinks to really pray what's on my heart, to really share where I am, what my struggle is. And that's exactly what ha happened to Paul. And here's what Paul says you need to understand. He, chapter one, 8, verse 1. This is what we got to go back to. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Do you hear that? He, he's not sitting back there saying, just Lord, let me just make, just make that. There's no condemnation. And later on, Paul in chapter 8 is going to say, you're, a, you're his child. Man, if you're a good parent, you get that. There is nothing your child could do. And, and they've done it. They've put it to the test. That's just a, but you love them. Nothing changes that. There's no condemnation. There is nothing you can do. You're my child. And this appearance game is so destructive, it ends up making people miserable. And that's what Paul realized. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? He will. He has, if you've accepted that gift of forgiveness, adoption of his family. He's wrecked you. You're safe. You're righteous because of Christ. You never could do it on your own. Why are we back to trying it now? We never got that right. I stay righteous for the same reason, because what Christ did in my life. You know, I'm already his, so who in hell am I trying to please? And I say that the way it's meant. When we fall into this appearance, this game of keeping up an image, we're serving this guy from hell that always was bent on our destruction. Let's quit worrying about him, and let's quit worrying about the next person, and let's celebrate. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I am his child. And nothing will change that. And let's start enjoying the relationship. Let's pray.
before I pray, I just want to give you a moment to examine your own heart because maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable saying it because, you know, we can't say it in, in these situations. We can't be honest about it, but really wretched man that I am. That's a pretty good, accurate description. I, I am so miserable. I'm, it's always a guessing game with me. I never know where I stand with God. I'm always worrying, have I done enough? And, and, and then on top of it, I, you know, I, I, in the church and, and I'm trying to give the image that everything's going great, it's in its place, you know, no problems here. And, and in my heart, I know that's so far from the truth. And it's all become a game. And it's certainly not a fun game. It's a miserable game. If it's time to go back to that moment where for the first time in your life, you realize there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And you're as safe as you could possibly be. It's not about your performance. It never was. It's about his heart, his love, his grace for you. Start enjoying the family relationship. Relax. He's the kind of dad that says, hey, son, great job. Didn't quite get it, but man, you tried hard. Great job. Hey, daughter, I love your heart. You didn't get to do everything you wanted to do there, but I love your heart. I love that you wanted to. You're, I'm so proud of you. Start enjoying the relationship. Thanks, Father, for, for Paul's honesty here. He had to expose his own heart, and, and I suspect that was pretty tough as a guy who has lived majority of his life pretending to get so real and say hey let me tell you what's happened I've just gotten back to trying to appear to look good and that's that destroys don't let us as a church don't let us as individuals fall into that pattern because it is what produces wretched people thanks for your word your insight into our hearts for how much you love us and there is no condemnation. We pray these things to your son.